All right, well, good morning, beloved. Uh, please join me and open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, uh, the 14th chapter. Gospel of John, chapter 14. Uh, before we get started this morning, I just want to just uh, take a moment and thank Pastor Rick for bringing us those two great lessons over the last two weeks. Um, if you missed them, they're a key theme uh, centered around Romans 12 and not conforming to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is really crucial because as the scripture says, this is how we are to test everything in these last days so that we may discern what the will of God is, his good and pleasing will. Such a, an important daily discipline and we all need to apply it as we have to be a people who um, prayerfully put on the full armor of God every single day and offer ourselves as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which, as Paul says, is our spiritual worship. Well, not being up here preaching for the last two weeks, uh, I am renewed and rested and fired up. We might have to turn this mic down. <laughs> uh, we have some incredible verses before us. Um, if you are new with us, I do want to welcome you. We're um, happy that you um, are here to uh, join us. Of course, those who tune in um, online, um, we have been going verse by verse through the Gospel of John for about a year now, um, but today we're beginning a new chapter, so it's a great time to be here and to jump right in. Um, we're in the 14th chapter. We'll be covering verses 1 through 14 this morning. Um, now, before we read our verses today, let me quickly just set some of the context before us since it's been a few weeks. Um, you may recall where we left off. It is Thursday night of Passion Week. Jesus and the Eleven are in an upper room somewhere in Jerusalem. Uh, according to John, it is night, both literally and spiritually. Uh, chapter 13, we saw Satan has now entered into Judas Iscariot. He has just left the upper room, and he is at this very moment uh, making the deal and meeting with the chief priests and the scribes and plotting out the, the best way on how to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. We are now just hours away from the cross and Jesus knowing that his hour is at hand, he is preparing his disciples for his departure. It's a somber scene. Um, Jesus has been telling the 12, now the 11, for quite some time now, that he must go to Jerusalem and he must suffer many things at the hands of the elders and be betrayed and crucified. And on the third day, he will rise from the dead. Christ at this point is looking squarely at the cross and everything that we sing about and every promise that we claim and every single hope that we cling on to is ours because of the work that Christ will do on the cross. Our salvation, our security, our peace, everything that we hold dear is due to what Christ will do here on our behalf. So as we come to John 14, Jesus, who, who, who knows the heart, we know from chapter 2, sees these 11 men. They are terrified. He sees their fears. He sees their worries and so Jesus begins preparing his own 
for what is about to happen. And though they can't see it right now, what they are about to experience is going to be something so vast and so amazing that through the work of the Holy Spirit, these men are about to turn the world upside down. So let's read our verses once through and then we can uh, look at them closer after as I broke it up into three easy sections for us. Um, John chapter 14 beginning in verse 1. This is the reading then of God's holy and living word and we begin with the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Uh, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me Philip whoever has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me the words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority but the father who dwells in me does his works Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the accounts of the works themselves. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Amen, indeed. Well, one of the core beliefs of the Christian faith is that we are Trinitarian. One God existing in the persons of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what I want you to see as we walk through John chapter 14, this passage, is the Trinitarian aspect of these verses. And you'll see this as it unfolds. And I want to walk you through this with just three main headings. First, I want you to notice that we will be in the Father's house. We will be in the Father's house. That's the promise of our Lord when you are home in heaven you will be in the Father's house. Now, um, before we get to that, the beginning of verse 1, there is something that we need to deal with. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. 
Now, this isn't a hypothetical. The hearts of his disciples are troubled. This week has been an emotional roller coaster to them. Uh, I mean, just think about it. It started on uh, Sunday, Palm Sunday, and the, the Lord's triumphant return into Jerusalem as there were hundreds of thousands of people there celebrating the um, Passover and waving palm branches as they celebrated their Messiah coming in. Tuesday, Jesus cleanses the temple a second time. He clears it and calls it a den of thieves. The disciples' mouths at this point must have been on the floor. Now he's telling them that he's leaving them, that he must go, and you can't go where I am yet. He has told them that one of you will betray me. He just told Peter, you're going to deny me three times before tomorrow morning comes. <laughs> Their hearts were already troubled. <laughs> and the language here is actually Jesus commanding them to stop letting your hearts be troubled. Now remember, over the last three chapters, Jesus' own soul had become on three separate occasions over the last three chapters, greatly troubled. And most of it was as he looked out at his broken creation, as they were weeping and mourning over death, it was all due to the wages of sin. But now here in John 14, he commands his followers, don't let your hearts be troubled, which the only thing I can conclude from that is that there must be a sense of a righteous troubling and an unrighteous troubling. And I think we can uh, see this as it unfolds because in John 12, the Lord's heart is troubled because he knows that soon to come upon him is the wrath of the Father as a payment for sin. And his answer then in John 12 is, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The trouble Christ feels is the sorrow that understands just how awful sin is. And just how serious the consequences of it is. And that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God. And the idea of even a moment of separation from the father. Deeply troubles the son. And yet his heart is steadied. And as he confesses in John 12, that his greatest desire is not to escape the pain. It's not to delay this cup of wrath that must come. Christ's greatest desire is that he could say, Father, glorify your name. The trouble he's talking about here in John 14 is the trouble that you and I often experience. There are things that we don't know the answers to, so... We get anxious <laughs> or things that we can't fully understand, so we worry. And the trouble that we feel and the trouble that the disciples felt in this day 
is the trouble that comes when we don't know the end from the beginning. And what we're required to do is to walk by faith. And so many times in the disciples' lives, and for you and for me, what we have to keep in mind is our soul need not be troubled by our own limitation because we have a God who knows all and sees all. They don't need to be troubled because the one that's in control of all things is ruling and is reigning forever and ever. So, beloved, there may be things that we don't understand. There may be things you're uncertain of. How exactly is this going to end? Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, don't you? Believe also in Christ. We trust in our God, amen? Now, uh, how is it that you bring peace to troubled hearts? Um, because as the psalmist said, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. We used to sing that when maybe when you were kids too. And, and he said that it's, it's not if I am afraid, it's when I am afraid. <laughs> we live in a broken world. Fear and anxieties will often come. So how do we bring peace to when trouble's trying to get into our hearts? Two words, we pray and we believe. We pray and we believe. It's your prayerful belief in the Lord that gives you the peace that surpasses all understanding. A little later in John 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The Apostle Paul from a prison cell expands on this in Philippians chapter 4. Not knowing what day the Roman soldiers might just burst in to decide, this is the day we're lopping off your head. So he writes to encourage the believers in Philippi Though in prison, brothers and sisters, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus we pray and we believe. We do spiritual battle on our knees in prayer. You believe it drives out unbelief. You believe it drives out unbelief. You believe and you trust in your God. This is why for those who don't know Christ, as Tim said, who don't make room for Christ, they're never going to find the peace that they're looking for. Because there is no true and lasting peace outside of belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it may be even this morning that you find yourself grasping and, and reaching and trying with all your might to find that peace that just 
keeps eluding you. Friends, you will never find it apart from believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the battle is always won first on your knees in faith. And you cast all your cares upon God because he cares for you. He cares for you. That is why the world is so clueless and why it's so absent from any real lasting peace because they reject everything is of the Lord. But what we know <laughs> is what the Lord told his disciples that night, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Why? Because I am God. Beloved, you must have your faith strong and convicted and rooted and, as Hebrews says, anchored before the turmoil comes. This is why we've got to be in the Word every single day. This is why we memorize Scripture. This is why we pray Scripture. This is why we meditate on His Word. This is why we take time to pray throughout the day. This is why you don't try to live any day apart from the wisdom and strength of God's word. Because before the battle hits, you need to have your heart rooted and readied and anchored. You need to have your mind settled and convicted in what you know and in what you believe. Otherwise, you're just going to be a wave in the sea, blowing back and forth and back and forth over and over again. Read the word, meditate on the word, pray the word, memorize the word, put it on your hearts, establish your heart and mind clearly in God's truth, in his word. And that's how you fight a troubled heart. Jesus says to him in verse one, that they believed in God. Believe also in me. Before the physical presence of God the Christ came, and before he was a part of the life, they believed in God. The apostles recognized that Jesus is the one who has come from God. Back in John chapter 6, at the, the end of the chapter, Peter declared, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They've seen him now for three years. They've witnessed his preaching. They've watched him do incredible miracles. Raise the dead. <laughs> They've seen it. And they believe. And they did believe in the invisible God. But they need to believe in him when he is gone the same way that they believe in the invisible God. Their faith at this point is that kind of, um, we'll call it the Thomas faith. You remember Thomas wasn't in the room the first time that the Lord had showed up post the resurrection. And the disciples have said, oh, we have seen the Lord. <laughs> and he said, I will not believe unless I what? See. I will not believe unless I see. It's a Thomas kind of faith, but now the Lord is leaving them. So he's saying, you believe in God. You believe in God, the one that you can't see. 
you must believe in me with the same kind of faith. Trust in my presence. Trust in my power. I am leaving, but I'm not leaving you alone. And I love what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I love that. You, you, you beloved, believe so strongly. You, you love so strongly that your life is filled with inexpressible joy and is full of his exalting glory. That's how strong you believe in the one that you've never seen. And though you do not see him, you love him. You believe in him, verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Eternal salvation comes to those who believe in the Christ they haven't seen. So here's what Jesus is saying. You believe in God the Father, though you have never seen him, you're going to have to believe in God the Son the exact same way. He's saying you trusted God the Father, and God the Father in his goodness sent God the Son. And now the son is going to go back to the father and you still trust in the goodness of God who is never going to leave his people without what they need. Do you believe that today? Yeah. Do you understand that God is providing for you now? And though it might be difficult to see because you're surrounded by the reminder of all these many things that are broken in this world and maybe even things that are broken in your own life. But God has not left you without hope. God has not left you without direction. And God has not left you without a comforter. You have in the spirit and through the written word all that you need, the Bible says, for life and for godliness. Jesus is trying to help his disciples and by extension certainly help us, the church, to understand that the Lord is always here and he is always providing for us. The Lord takes care of his people. And that doesn't mean that hardships won't come. Of course they will. But the Lord can be trusted. Amen? Amen. Now, notice we've gotten through one verse. Let's get to verse 2. <laughs> This is what happens. You guys give me two weeks to prepare. So, <clears throat> Notice what Jesus says in verse 2. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. Now, through the years, this word rooms have been translated in a way that probably hasn't been too helpful to some of you. I remember as a child reading this verse translated, in my father's house are many mansions. And uh, it's the word mane in the Greek and it refers to a, an abiding dwelling place. And certainly during the first century, the father would have the house. And, and the son, when he went to get married, added on to the dwelling place of his father's house. And he got married and he came in and they started a family. And the other son added on. And soon there, there was this big, huge compound. But it's all the father's house. Mansions kind of misses the, the point. Um, if you're like me, you grew up singing weird songs and hearing weird sermons that talked about how you're going to Get your own big mansion in heaven. <laughs> Let me help you with this, all right? Here's the greatness of heaven. You will be in the Father's house. <laughs> the greatness and the glory of heaven is not some big mansion that you have in a gated community where no one can bother you. 
The promise is heaven is that you are with the Lord and you are in the Father's house. There's so many people and um, funerals and talking all these things about heaven. And, um, is there golf in heaven? And will my dogs be in heaven? And will I be mountain climbing some of those great mountains that will be in heaven? And, and you don't even need Christ there. Because they're all consumed with all of their stuff. I've been at funerals, man. All people want to talk about it is, is take their dream that is on earth and the things that they didn't get, and then they want to apply it and put it in heaven that's there waiting for them. That is not what heaven is all about. Heaven is not about every worldly, selfish, shallow, worldly dream that didn't come true for you here that you want to come true for you there. Heaven's about you're at home. In the Father's house with your Lord. Now, I can't speak to everything that will or won't be happening in heaven. Maybe there is golf. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't. There, there's such a thing as mystery and, and wonder and awe. Anticipation, I don't know, for glory. You can read about some of what heaven is in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, I'll tell you that. And it, it does, does describe one part of it, a, a holy city. That's just the city. New Jerusalem coming down at, out of heaven, prepared, it says, as a bride. But don't you find it interesting that the only thing Jesus must have his disciples understand here is that you will be at home in the Father's house. That's what makes it heaven. You're with the Lord. You're in his house. Not all these other things that you can do or something that's there to enjoy. Without Christ, it's not heaven. And what so many Christians fail to understand is that heaven will be all about the glory of God on full display for all of eternity. And, and with no more stain of sin, we can give our creator, our God, the worship that he deserves and that your heart longs to give. It's going to be Incredible. I don't think our finite minds can even begin to understand the glory and the beauty that awaits us. When John was caught up in the spirit to heaven, there's a number of scenes in Revelation. When John and all the angels and the elders of heaven, and in each scene that they're around God's throne, um, in almost every scene it says, we were on our faces worshiping God. It's not about how big your mansion is or even that the streets will be made of gold. Jesus wants his disciples to understand this, that for all eternity you will be at home with the Son in the Father's house. Be encouraged, brother. Be encouraged, sister. There's room for you. In the Father's house. Now something else I want you to see. Jesus says in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and will take you to myself. That where 
I am, you may be also. The Lord is coming back for his own. And did you notice that when Jesus speaks about heaven here, it's not so much an emphasis on the place as much as it's an emphasis on the person. He says, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. The hope that we have as believers is not in the details of what heaven's like. It's in the guarantee of who is going to be there. And Jesus says that where I am, you may be also. Wow. So the case that Jesus is building here is you don't need to have your hearts be troubled. Because I'm taking care of you today and even greater than that, I am taking care of you for all of eternity for whoever believes in me now jesus tells him twice here he's preparing a place oh man you should have seen me going over this forever i've told you i go to prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and take you to myself so twice i'm going i'm preparing i'm going i'm preparing now here's the question what's he preparing is Jesus up there in heaven busy preparing and building our rooms? Is my room in heaven somehow in disrepair? Does Jesus still have more work to do? What about what Jesus says in Matthew 25, verse 34? He said, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So at least in, in, in some sense, your room has, has been designed and made suitable for redeemed believers since before the creation of the world. Ephesians 1 also says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. This stuff's already been all figured out. So what does he mean I'm going to prepare? Well, I think, first of all, um, your room is just fine. He's not up there in heaven fixing it. I used to like to joke that Jesus the carpenter was maybe up there working. <laughs> uh, but what isn't fine is you can't get there if I don't go do what I am about to go and do. What has to be prepared is an open door to the room. Th this room is locked tight to sinners that are not forgiven and there will be no forgiveness until this sin has been dealt with. And I go and leave you and go do what I have got to do. I'm going to prepare something. About 12 hours from now on Golgotha. I will do this massive work preparing an open door so you can go be in the room. Sin must be atoned for 
He is the Lamb of God prepared to be slain. The curse of God is still unfinished. And I'm about to become a curse for you. To bear condemnation for you. To be pierced for your transgressions. Bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement for your peace will be laid upon me. I must be smitten by God the Father and afflicted. And by my stripes you will be healed. Death must be defeated. Before you can be raised from the dead. And in three days when I come back I will defeat death and you from it. But, but none of that has been done yet. I must prepare by opening the door for you, and I will be the way. I think that could be the preparation our Lord might be speaking of, or at least something to consider. That leads us to point number two. We will praise the Son for the gift of salvation. We will praise the Son for the gift of salvation. And I think verses 4 through 6 gives us confirmation of this sense of preparing here. Verse 4, Jesus says to them, You know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Thomas gets kind of a bad rap if you've been in the church for any amount of time. And even if you haven't been in church, you probably know his nickname. What do people call him? Doubting Thomas. How would you like to be Thomas? The, the, the only thing anyone knows about you is that you were a doubter. But can I just remind you that it's the very questions of Thomas that bring us some of the greatest statements of truth from the lips of our Lord? Isn't it interesting how God in his incredible providence can use even the struggles of a common man, the faults, to be a blessing to the body of Christ. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This has always been true. The Lord has always been the way for his people. This was the prayer of the psalmist's heart in Psalm 27, verse 11, that said, Teach me your way, O Lord. Isaiah 30, verse 21, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. The Lord has always been the way for his people. Today with technology and cell phones and GPSs, it's, not so hard getting from place to place, they tell me. I, I don't know, I liked it better in the olden days. Those of you who are under 30, um, you're just going to have to take me by faith, but what I, I'm about to say is true. In the olden days, if you were going to be going somewhere, um, someone would have to say to you, Nick, uh, just head the, up the road up there. Um, and when you see the, the old bridge, uh, turn right. 
and go up there about two to three miles. And on your left is going to be a, a big brown barn up there and a couple cows out in front of it. Just go up there a little bit further past the barn and you're going to see a, a yellow sign there. And well, I want you to turn right there and about a mile down the road there, you'll, you'll find what you're looking for up ahead. And the whole time you're driving, you're looking for a brown barn, a yellow sign, and some cows in the road somewhere. And whatever else you remembered from the directions. And how different it is if somebody comes up and says to you, you know what? I'll take you there. Just come with me. I am the way. I am the way. Church, can I just encourage you today to lift up your eyes and to trust in your God? He's going to get you there. He's going to see you through. God is taking care of his own. Jesus is the way. He is also the truth. And this is the cry of the psalmist in Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Christ himself is the very embodiment of truth. John, in his opening chapter, says of Christ in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus alone is the way to God, because he alone is the truth of God. And he alone possesses the life of God. John 1.4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This too was the cry of the psalmist in Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. Jesus is saying, you believe in me now, but now you need to keep believing I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Peter, Matthew, Andrew, Nathan, Simon, Philip, James, John, yes, and even you, Thomas. But Lord Thomas says, <laughs> we, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So number one, we will be in the Father's house. Number two, we will praise the Son for the gift of salvation. Because let me tell you something, when you get to heaven, you're not going to be confused about how it is that you made it there. You are going to know in that moment more clearly than ever before exactly why and how it is that you are in heaven. And that is by the grace of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No one's making a heaven and looking around saying, oh, look at what I've done. No one's making a heaven and saying, look what I earned. Every soul in heaven is going to have one name on their lips is the name 
Jesus. You have a home in the Father's house to the praise of the work of the Son. Let me show you lastly, thirdly, that not only are we going to be in the Father's house and we will praise the Son for the gift of salvation, but number three, we will have the help of the Holy Spirit. This is the promise that we live in today, that we have the help, the helper, the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And I think Philip here is kind of going back to the Thomas faith that we're going to see later on. He needs some kind of view of the Father. J just show us the Father. You keep talking about the Father. Lord, just show us the Father. That will be enough. Philip's thinking here, he's just not sure that he can make it if Christ is going to be gone. I, I need something. Just, just show us the Father. Again, for three years, Philip and the other disciples, Dale experience has been, Christ has been physically right there with them. <laughs> now Christ is talking about going away and then he's going to be coming back again. Well, what about the time in between? It's great that he came, and, and it's great that he's returning, but what about that time in between? Which just so happens to be right where you and I are living today, correct? It's the time in between the promises. God promised he was going to send a redeemer, and year after year after year after year, the people cried out, How long, O Lord? How long? Until the Redeemer comes. And then the angelic pronouncement came. Born for you this day in the city of David. The Savior who is the Christ, the Lord. And God kept his word. The Christ has come. But then after Christ dies and he is raised back to life. He will send back up to the Father. And he's promised to come back again. But the struggle is this in-between time. How do we make it then? And this is the heart of the disciples here. What, what are we going to do without you? Our, our people have trusted that you were coming and, and now you've come. Our, our faith is, is bolstered, but, but now you're going away? How, how are we going to make it until you come back? And here's the answer. You will have the help of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, Jesus responds to Philip's question, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So Philip, here I am. Is that enough for you? You said it would be enough. You said, show us the Father and it is enough for us. <laughs> and, what just, and what Jesus is saying is, is you've always been able to trust the Father. And you have always been able to trust the Son. 
You can always trust in the Lord always. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And today, as followers of Christ, we live in the same in-between time. After the first coming, before the second coming, the return. And so maybe some of you can relate very well to this question that's being asked. But, but what about now? What do we do about now? And the truth is, is the Bible teaches that as a believer, you have inside of you the very spirit of God. And he has not only given us his spirit, he has given you his word and his promises. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Today, he is leading you, protecting you, providing for you, guiding you. He is showing you the way. You know the way, the truth, and the life. Because you have Christ. And his spirit continues to lead you in his truth. Turn with me just for a brief moment to uh, John chapter 16, verse 5. Jesus is still speaking to his disciples. We're still in the upper room. And, and I want you to see what he says here in verse 5. He says, now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus tells his disciples here, you don't need to be afraid. I'm still taking care of you. And I just want to say to you today as the church family and, and brothers and sisters that I love dearly, and as people that I, I, I care about, whatever it is that is troubling your hearts today, and whatever it is that is putting those fears and anxieties in your mind that concern you, the Lord is going to see you through. The Lord takes care of his people. The Lord is taking care of his church. The Lord is accomplishing his work. The Spirit of God is actively doing exactly what he purposes to do. And just like your hope in heaven is that you're going to be with the Lord, so your hope on earth is because God is with you. You have not been left alone. You have not been left as orphans, Scripture says. You have a heavenly father who is seeing you through and you have a home forever in his house. You have the son that you will praise forever and ever. And you enjoy today the blessing of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God in your heart. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Let's finish out our text. We pick it up in 
uh, John 14, verse 11 there. Um, believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the accounts of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now, I don't know about you, but these words of Christ here jump off the page at me. Church, this is a wake-up call. I fear today the, the global church at large, especially here in the U.S., has become way too insider-focused and, and not outsider-driven. And this is a command from our Savior, our King, that we're still on mission. The mission isn't finished. We need to be about doing the Lord's work. And we looked at this a couple months ago, and this is what nourished the Lord. Remember what Jesus said in John 4, after the woman at the well, he said, My food is to do the will of him, the Father who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, looking at the disciples who showed up with all their food and saying, what's up, Lord? Do you not say that there are four months, then comes the harvest? And remember, we talked about very likely all those Samaritans were walking towards the Lord after the woman had gone and told them everything that the Lord had known about. Them. And the Samaritans would have had their, their white cotton jackets and they would have looked like these little pieces of cotton all popping up and down. And I suggested possibly the Lord is watching the harvest come his way. And he's telling the disciples, do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. So when we see Jesus pray then in John 12, Father, glorify your name. He's being strengthened by the same truth that his heart's desire is to do the work of the Father. And so here Jesus says to his church today, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And so Jesus has commissioned his church. He said, the work that I do, you're going to keep on doing. This is not the end of the work. And what did Jesus do? Jesus proclaimed the, the kingdom of God, the gospel. We proclaim the kingdom of God, the gospel. Jesus cared about those who were broken and hurting. We care about those who are broken and hurting. Jesus shared compassion. We share compassion. Jesus somehow perfectly spoke in both grace and truth. We speak in grace and truth. Don't say perfectly grace and truth. Jesus called the people to repentance. We called people to repentance. Jesus was faithful even in his suffering. We, the church, must be faithful even in suffering. Notice here he's telling his disciples the work is not over, but he's also telling them that this is not the end of the relationship. I'm still going to be with you. I'm always going to be with you. He says at the end of verse 12, and greater works in these will he do because I am going to the Father. In other words, he's saying, it's precisely because I am going to the Father. And we're sending God the Holy Spirit that even greater works than these are going to take place. Now, in what sense are these works greater? This is essentially a simple thing. You're, you're, you're not going to be doing greater works than what the, the Lord did in the sense of the essence of what you're doing. But... What's going to happen is, is when Christ was here on earth, 
and with his disciples pre-Holy Spirit, they were only here in one location. But after the resurrection, and once Christ has ascended to the Father, he's going to send the Spirit of God come, and when the Spirit of God comes down, the Spirit is going to light the flame. Persecution will come. The followers of Christ will scatter through the persecution, and the gospel is going to be taken to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the work of gospel kingdom building is going to spread all over the place. And isn't it amazing that every time the enemy tries to squelch the proclamation of the gospel, give it enough time, and you'll see the gospel multiplies every single time. Isn't that amazing? And that's exactly what the Lord is promising here, that it's to your advantage, it's to the world's advantage that I go. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And my church will grow to the very ends of the earth. And so if you're the devil here, you've got to be sitting back saying, how on earth do we stop this thing? <laughs> right? I mean, we try to have him killed as a baby. Right? But the angel comes and, and Joseph and, and Mary are, are filled in and they escape the, the murderous plot of Herod and they go and flee Egypt. That didn't work. Satan tried to tempt him in the wilderness. That didn't happen. He got a mob to try to throw him off of the cliff. He escaped. We physically killed him. He rose again. He's gone now, but he's got this ragtag group of disciples who by the power of the Holy Spirit have suddenly transformed from scared deniers locked up in the house onlookers to bold courageous, inspired, on fire for the gospel, and they go and turn the world upside down. Can I just remind you, church, if you are with Christ, you cannot be defeated. You are on the side of the conquering king. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Trust in his word. And it's okay if there's things that you don't understand. Because you are not the way. You are not the truth. And you are not the life. But you are connected with the one who forever is. Amen. And so they are going to do even greater works, Jesus says. Because I am going to the Father. The gospel is going to spread all around the world. And then he tells them this incredible promise in verse 13 whatever you ask in my name this i will do and the father may be glorified in the son if you ask me anything in my name i will do it sometimes we might think of prayer as like some concessions god's given us to do maybe you think god's up there thinking oh boy you know i'm kind of tired of you you're always bothering me with some of the stuff you're always looking and asking these things but go ahead and I'll, I'll answer some of your prayers, you know. That, that's not what he says here. He is glorified. 
when we pray in his name, in his will, in his purpose for his glory. And he says, I will do it. The Lord delights when his people pray. He began the chapter by saying, you're welcomed in the Father's house. If you're welcomed in the Father's house, you are wanted at the Father's table. That's the promise of Psalm 23, and that is the promise here in John 14. So as we close out this message, we have all these incredible promises. And most of us here would say, oh yeah, I believe all of it. But what happens to you when your heart becomes troubled? Because that's where they are. And I'm sure there's some of you there here this morning saying, you know what? I, I do trust in the Lord for my eternity. I, I, I do trust that heaven is my home. But what about right now? What about in this thing that's going on? What about today? Right now, I'm just trying to survive a loveless marriage. And maybe for you, you'd say, I do trust in the Lord and I believe he's ruling and he is reigning right now. And I believe he's getting me to heaven. That's right. But I'm longing to be married and I can't find a spouse. Or maybe you'd say, I do trust in the Lord for my eternity. But what about my strength child? What about my sick mom? In other words, what about today, God? I'm struggling here. The Bible is here to help us, and we'll look more at these next week, but I just want to close with these verses today. In verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, and then jump down that last sentence at the end of verse 17. You know him, for he dwells with you, and will be in you. You with troubled hearts, you're going to be just fine. And you're going to make it today because the Lord is at work in you. And he will forever be with you. At the cross, let not your hearts be troubled. Do believe in God. Believe also in Christ. Uh, if your hearts are maybe troubled this morning and you just need some prayers and fellowship, we'd love to pray with you down front here. We'll have the leaders down front here. If you could please stand this morning and sing, we're going to sing Good Grace.